Today we have retrieved from the archives a living world conversation with Hugh Kingery about the American Dipper, an aquatic songbird that in the past was a regular member of the Crystal River community as it flows through Carbondale. Dipper is also known as Oozle. John Muir enjoyed seeing them in the Sierras and said, Oozle is a singularly joyous and lovable little fellow about the size of a robin, clad in a plain waterproof suit of bluish gray with a tinge of chocolate on the head and shoulders. In form, he is about as smoothly plump and compact as a pebble that's been whirled into a pothole, the flowing contour of his body being interrupted only by his strong feet and bill the crisp wingtips, and the upslanted wren-like tail. Among all the countless waterfalls I have met in the course of ten years' exploration, whether among the icy peaks or warm foothills or in the profound canyons, not one was found without its oozel. No canyon is too cold for this little bird, none too lonely, provided it be rich with falling water. Find a fall or cascade or rushing rapid anywhere upon a clear stream, and there you will surely find its complementary oozel. Flitting about in the spray, diving in foaming eddies, whirling like a leaf among beaten foam bells, ever vigorous and enthusiastic, yet self-contained, and neither seeking nor shunning your company. Welcome. This is William Evans, and we're shifting gears. Our guest today is Hugh Kingery, an old friend, and our conversation is focused on a small gray bird, the American Dipper, also known as Oozle. Welcome, Hugh. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Hugh is the author of the American Dipper component of The Birds of North America, a comprehensive encyclopedia of bird species in the United States and Canada, published by the Cornell Ornithology Lab. And Hugh, you uh, you have a degree from Cornell in zoology. Right. That was long ago. Yeah, well, we can remember some things long ago. <laughs> As a source water state, Colorado has a long tradition of a healthy, vigorous American dipper population. Right. And, and the main thing that dippers need for, uh, in the first place, and this is true of most birds, is suitable habitat. Right. And for, for, the, for the dipper, um, they, they need... The same habitat year-round, fast-moving, clear and unpolluted streams, and they like cascades and ripples and waterfalls. Right. Uh, their streams are rarely more than 50 feet wide or 6 feet deep, although in the winter they'll use slightly wider and deeper uh, streams. Right. So this restricts them pretty much to the the headwaters of, of 
the Rocky Mountain streams. And being a source water state, we uh, we provide a good amount of habitat. Yes, and uh, among the we're we're among the uh, major recorders of nippers on various surveys that uh, are conducted nationwide, like the Breeding Bird Survey. Right. Say a little more about the natural history of the American Dipper. Well, the other, the next thing is food, and they'll eat almost any aquatic insect. Uh, they have a variety of ways of, of getting after them. The, the food can be uh, uh, particularly uh, larval life stages of things like caddisflies. Mayflies and uh, dipter, which are dipter, which are uh, midges and craneflies and mosquitoes, and they can walk on the water and and uh, grab things. They can swim underwater and, and get stuff that way. The thing I like most to watch them is in the winter when they'll stand on the. On, ledge of ice and then plunge into the water to grab something. Right. Yeah, they are a hardy year-round mountain resident. Indeed. But they need open water to, to find... They need open water, so if the upper reaches of the stream freeze, that forces the ones who are breeding there downstream and apparently uh, puts the, the migrants, the ones from upstream, at something of a disadvantage because the ones downstream seem to be uh, healthier and hardier and uh, have more success breeding. They're year-round territories. And and they do set up winter spaces or winter territories, and you can see them chasing each other up and downstream when uh, they're trying to defend it. Somebody's they, pushing uh, the boundaries? Yeah, and they're very noisy. The streams make a lot of noise, and so in order to hear themselves, the dippers make a lot of noise, and they have a very loud rattle as well as a very loud loud song, and you often hear the song in September as well as in the spring right. because in September and October they're setting up those winter territories. Um and for winter, their feather system's pretty critical. They, they, they have uh, half again as many feathers per, uh, on their body as similar birds, uh, as birds of similar sizes do because of their, um, I suppose you'd say, aquatic lifestyle. And in addition to these short, powerful wings and that upthrust tail, the feet are, are very impressive, and I, I realize they're serious feet because that's what enables Dipper to hold on to the bottom and not get washed downstream. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, another thing is, is that Dipper's dip, and I think that's another way of showing them that people don't really know why Dipper's dip, but I think one of the reasons may be uh, so that people upstream, or so that birds upstream can see them. 
Another possible reason is that if they dip while they're feeding, they can get a different angle of light on the stream and may be able to see the insect more readily. The other remarkable thing for me is seeing fledglings on rocks in the spring runoff. I'm, I'm just filled with awe. It's a fierce initiation into life. Well, it certainly is, and, and they're quite noisy when they after they fledge. And it's interesting uh, about how they behave. The, sometimes, not always, the uh, parent dippers will split their brood between them and occupy different sections of the stream. And uh, they're, they're, with some songbirds, which includes dippers, a crucial song learning period happens uh, shortly after the fledge from the nest. Uh, and with dippers, when they have these divided broods, why the adults, particularly after they fed them, will sing at them so that you can see a male singing his song right after he's fed the young, uh, and the female does the same. But the female's song is only half as long as the male, but she sings twice as often as the male. Right. So apparently that's how they learn to sing. Yeah. The, the dipper is referred to as an indicator species. Can you tell us what that means? Well... It, it, if, if you have dippers, it's, it suggests that you have an uh, unpolluted stream that isn't full of uh, various uh, pollutants and things like that. And uh, Go ahead. Thank you. Your turn. Um, and you're updating your monograph on the American Dipper. Is that pretty well finished? I'm struggling or? with that. <laughs> you're now, struggling with that. One thing we've it. left out is the nest site because... The main criterion for a successful territory is having a decent nest site, and uh, this requires a ledge or something similar that's protected overhead um, from the elements that has difficult access so predators can't get to it, and... um, may or may not have a spray of water on it, although sometimes when, it, it, when the nest site doesn't have a spray of water, the dipper, when building the nest, will drop them off into the water before they put it into the nest so that it's, uh, I suppose, fits in better and makes it more compact. Right. In in your 1996 um, monograph, you included a quote from two British authorities that healthy dipper population on upland rivers throughout the world indicate healthy river ecosystems. Yeah, and that's that's what you were driving at before that they sh- they show unpolluted streams. And will you probably include those words again in your new new edition? Yeah, it's just a revision. It's not a rewrite. Right. And Dipper will abandon polluted streams or those where the water is taken for irrigation or trans-mountain diversions? Well, uh, it depends on what's left. Uh, if, if it still offers 
the proper feeding area and, and a decent nesting area, they'll hang around. Uh, you know, a trans-mountain diversion may reduce the flow, but it can sometimes at least leave the flow. And another thing that happens, they readily adapt to human structures that provide the right nest structure. So when they, we put in roads, sometimes, sometimes that improves their habitat because the bridges provide ledges where the birds can, can nest. Right. Yeah, the bridges are, are a benefit when uh, they provide safe nest sites. Right. Well, I'm concerned about river pollution and local dipper population here in Carbondale. The song of source water can so easily become a stream of tears. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the uh, stream in the Carbondale area, so I can't really uh, comment on it. Are you aware of any recovery successes where a polluted stream's been healed and a departed dipper population has returned and re-inhabited? Well, in a way, uh, I've just read about uh, a situation in, on the Olympic Peninsula in the state of Washington. Right. There was a dam across the Elwha River. Right. And, and uh, there was a good population of healthy dippers below it, and those above it. There were some up there, but they, uh, the ones below had a lot more indications of healthy breeding, like they had many more multiple broods and were uh, more likely to stay there in the summer or in the winter. Uh, and they removed the, the dam on the river, and after that, there were more dippers upstream, and they... Uh, started reflecting the, the healthy, healthier status of the ones that had been below the dam. So, yes, they can come back when, when things improve. Yeah, wow. Another, I, I wasn't aware of that benefit, but it makes sense when that dam came down. I knew the, the salmon started going right back up. Yeah, and that was it. The, the salmon seemed to add nutrients both when the dipper eat their their eggs and from some kind of bottom-up enrichment that happens uh, when salmon get into the stream. Right. And and so when when available, they will they will eat eggs. Yes. Uh, fish eggs. Right, and flying insects. Right. Although mostly they like the stuff that's in the river, like the larvae of the various insects I mentioned. Right. Well, you know, another concern I'm I'm realizing is we're having increasingly hot days here, and and we're going to begin to approach what you identified as the upper critical temperature Dipper can cope with. You in 1996, you noted um, the bird probably can't survive air temperatures above 36 degrees centigrade or 96.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Right, and. I, I don't really, that was a, a paper that a, a researcher wrote, and I, I don't really have any details about it. it. But as you say, we're certainly experiencing a lot of hot weather this summer. Boy, we both, are too. Both where you live and where we live. Yes. 
So the second edition of the Colorado Breeding Bird Atlas suggests there there's some worrisome trends and there may be an apparent decline in our state's dipper population, and they suggest that a real need for intensive study. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the A breeding bird atlas is conducted in a plot uh, that's essentially uh, three miles on a side. And when we do the atlas, why we uh, survey one block in each topographic map, and there's six blocks in the topographic map, so we, uh, we survey one-sixth of the state. The, and we call those blocks that we survey priority blocks. The second atlas found dippers in uh, 27% fewer blocks than the first atlas. And it's a little hard to, to analyze that. I, I don't know what the causes are, because uh, in non-priority blocks, uh, atmospheres found them in, in a good deal more sites. Uh, the first atlas found them in 250 uh, atlas blocks, and the second one in 180. So it was a, a substantial decrease. Right. Well, I certainly know over the years I, I've i seen fewer and fewer and then, you know, very worrisome this year. And I haven't been getting out into the mountains so much, so I can't really uh, give any personal ideas. There are other surveys that could uh, provide information about trends, but, and particularly the breeding bird survey, which is conducted uh, in the U.S. and Canada. And the trouble is, for dippers, it doesn't show uh, trends that you can uh, rely on for sure. The the uh, surveys run along roads, and when you're at a stopping at a stream, the stream can be so noisy you can't hear anything, and the dippers may or may not be there. Right. And uh, so it's hard to... The breeding bird survey just doesn't provide a really good um, analysis, although it does show some declines in Colorado and Montana and um, one other state that shows increases in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. Uh, the, the Washington, Oregon, Idaho trends are totally unreliable, and the Colorado ones are a little more reliable, but not, not perfect. Right. You're listening to Shifting Gears, and we're in a conversation with Hugh Kingery about the aquatic songbird known as the American Dipper. In 1875, John Muir wrote with poetic eloquence of his delight with the ways of, of Dipper, who he in the, oh, those days called Water Oozel. He did. He, he, he was a real uh, fan. Well, fortunately, we've got source water places I can go and, and have spent a lot of time watching 
watching them and watching them feed their young in the nest this this spring and summer it's uh it's such a magical experience and John Muir devoted a whole chapter to the the water dipper chapter 13 of California mountains you've done some research oh yeah i'm having fun so when did the name switch from oozel to uh American Dipper. I, I noticed Alfred Bailey's two volumes on the birds of Colorado. Uh, he he referred to dippers, so he was aware I, of I'm that. not sure when it happened, but the reason they changed is that there are six other species like the dipper, which are called dipper. Uh, there's one in Europe and a couple in South America and a couple in Asia. And since they're all dippers, why they decided this one should be the American dipper. And water oozel sounds like such a more musical name, but uh, we've gone scientific. Dipper also describes how they behave, so that's okay too. Right. Well, somewhere I read that the South American relatives don't dip. That's it. That's in in this monograph, and uh, apparently. There's some other ducks that inhabit the same territory, and uh, there's, there's something about the coexistence of those the two species that, uh, I guess, discourages dipping by the South American species. Hugh, do you have any personal dipper stories you'd be willing to share? Well, the best one I was when we watched, this was at Breckenridge, and we watched a dipper, I don't know whether it's a male or a female, come in and feed the squawking young, and then after they were done, why he started singing at him. It was really very funny to watch. And... and you say that as if there was a real serious intensity to the song. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, the male was trying to get them to listen to it, and I, I think they did. All we right. hope they're now breeding on the, on the same river. Yeah, may it be so. Well, there's certainly something that happens to me when I watch, watch this little bird dive into a source water river and then explode back out, and land on the rock right where it was dancing before. And I particularly like to see them doing that off of the ice ledges because it seems so uh, nonsensical. But they're, they're equipped with their feathers and their uh, swimming abilities to get in there, get the insect, come out, and shake off the water and and... and Persist. And they can function well at very low temperatures. Indeed. I, I think there may be a lower limit, but they, they show up in Alaska, and there are even some streams up there where uh, there are only little patches of open water, and the dippers uh, spend the winter in those little patches. Often they involve hot springs that keep the water open. Right. Well, there's certainly um, something beautiful and magical about watching them, uh, and and you realize you're witnessing something really special on Earth. 
I, I think that's true, but I think that's true of a lot of birds as well. Uh, we we enjoy seeing other stuff in our yard, and uh, yet the, the dipper is a is a unique and magical critter. It certainly is. Anything else you would want to say about them? I think I think you've wrung out everything I can come up with. Well, it's it's been interesting because over the last year I've been doing a series of conversations about trust and realized today we're arriving from a different direction at a, at a new perspective, and perhaps the question now is whether Source Water and American Dipper can trust the innate long-term intelligence of human life-sustaining good-heartedness. Because as, as long as humans have walked the earth, we've fed on Mother Earth's life-sustaining intelligence and partnerships. And we need to remember how to match her gifts with our own intelligence and stature. That's an eloquent statement. Um, well, I'm honored. Thank you. Coming from you, I take that um, with much gratitude. Thank you, Hugh. You're welcome. This is William Evans. You've been listening to Shifting Gears and a conversation with Hugh Kingery about American Dipper, an aquatic songbird and a source water indicator species. This is KDNK. Thank you for listening.